This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 174. And the quote of the day is from Lionel Messi, who said, You have to fight to reach your dream. You have to sacrifice and work hard for it. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers and industry professionals. Information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. I hope you're doing well today. Happy hope. Hope you had a fantastic weekend. And I was just away in Lake Placid with my wife celebrating our one year anniversary. Can't believe it's been a year already. That is insane to me. Uh, if this is the first time checking out the podcast, I appreciate you checking it out. And you can find 172 of the other interviews or 173 of the other uh, interviews there at drummersresource.com. You can also grab a copy of my ebook. Stick control variations. It is 11 creative exercises to help you with your speed, your independence, and your chops. And it's 100% free. Just sign up for the mailing list there at drummersresource.com. Now, let's get into it today. I have Billy Martin from Modesky Martin and Wood. And Billy is, has been one of my huge influences for a very long time. And you'll hear me talk about it a lot in this, in this conversation that I had with him. I, I was first to hip to him in around uh, 97 or 98. Uh, I got the combustication record and just blew my mind. And not only the, the, the songs from the band, but also Billy's playing his original style. He has a very unique sound and, and can really just groove his ass off and has a really unique sound. It's just, it's just amazing. I don't know what else to say. So let's get into this great conversation with the one and only Billy Martin. Billy, what's happening, man? Such a pleasure to have you on the cast. Thank you so much for doing this. Hi, Nick. Good to be here. I got to tell you, man, uh, I've been I've been listening to you for years and years. I, I think the first record I ever heard of you guys was Combustication that I got uh, in high school. My uncle gave it to me. He gave us this whole box of literally like thousands of CDs and and my, me and my two siblings sort of got to trade all these CDs back and forth. And one of the CDs that I ended up with was yours and uh or was combustication and i listened to it for i mean i've listened to all your records but spent a lot of time working through that record and trying to learn uh all of your parts so it's amazing to be sitting here chatting with you so i i really oh. appreciate you doing this oh thanks yeah that's a good record you know it was a turning point for modesky martin wood mm-hmm. yeah. i mean i think I, I like all your records personally but that was the one that sort of turned me on to you guys which was yeah. uh which is awesome. And then I, you know, saw you at Bonnaroo and, and all that stuff years ago. So, uh, big, big fan. Great, great to have you here. So, Thanks. absolutely. Uh, so let's, for the, for the audience members who, who don't know who you are, I'd like to build just a little bit of backstory and context. And so let's talk a little bit about your history, sort of how you got into playing and then, and sort of how it morphed into, into the stuff that you do now. Yeah, sure. You want me to, try to put that together for you sure okay <laughs> uh well you know um really it's, the drums were introduced to me through my brother uh my brother kenny was uh studying practicing a little bit when we lived in manhattan i grew up in inwood which is like around 200 street and broadway very tip of manhattan Oh, okay and you know he had the drum set 
out for a while and was playing. So, you know, I mean, I was aware of it and he showed me a beat and I swear it's the same beat I play now. But, um, and, but then he, he quit, you know, and, uh, we moved to New Jersey and I didn't see the drum set, you know, for years. But when we moved to New Jersey, that's where the drum set like appeared. I was like, wow. And I just set it up in the basement and my dad had like, you know, had a, stereo down there and I just put on records and would play along with the records and that got me sort of like you know connected to the drums and music <clears throat> and then uh, my dad had a friend visiting another violinist that they were in the violinist you know working in orchestras in the city and all that and his friend said oh you want to study drums I said I don't know maybe you know <laughs> he, he said I know a guy and that was Alan Herman, who was my first drum teacher, who was like a Morello student. And that got me going. And then I studied with Alan for two years. And um, and that kind of got me sort of getting into stick control and all the pad stuff. And But I continued to play the drums in the basement, playing along with music. And eventually, led later, going to high school, you know, a couple years later, and joining a rock band, joining a jazz band in high school, concert band, and and then graduating from high school, I started playing some shows and you know club dates and every, anything I could do. Mm -hmm. So was it was there ever sort of a defining moment where you were like, all right, I'm going to do this as a career, or or were you just sort of naturally uh, going through, you know, going down that road and sort of it, it leading where it led? Yeah, I would say about, you know, halfway through high school, you know, maybe my junior year, I was just a kind of like, I started to just really get deeper and deeper into all of the different types of music that I really loved. And I just wanted to be a percussionist or a drummer, uh, you know, I, but I didn't know exactly where I would fit in, but I definitely wanted to pursue music. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Alan Herman, you, for, for the people who don't know who he is, I'll, I'll link up some stuff about him uh, in the show notes page, but is that you, is that the guy, did you do a DVD with him as well? Yeah. 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 Yep. Alan. Yep. Mm -hmm. Alan was like the executive producer. I told him that I had this idea and he actually helped fund it. And then I said, well, why don't you, you know, why don't you just be my co-host? I can talk to you. I need someone to talk to. And he was like, okay. And then, then it just fell into place, you know, and I directed it and edited it and everything. And yeah, Alan was part of the Life on Drums. Life on Drums, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there's, there's what, sorry, I'm making notes right now to make sure that, that we, uh, we link up to all this stuff. So the, the one thing that really attracted me to not only MMW, but, but also you and your playing specifically is that you have, an extremely unique style and which I love. And I've seen like, I mean, seeing you live, I've seen you do all kinds of crazy stuff. I think I remember you dropping like a bag of rocks on your snare drum. If I may, I may be making that up, but uh, that sounds cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's possible, but uh, yeah, something like that. <laughs> so, but, but you have a unique style, but you have this, but it's not so far out that, that it doesn't resonate and it's, I mean, it grooves its ass off. So I'd like to sort of walk down that road a little bit and figure out one, who were some of your influences? Who did you listen to? And what advice do you have for people to develop their own sound? As soon as you, as soon as I hear you, I'm like, okay, that's Billy Martin. Um, 
so what's your who were some of your influences what were you listening to 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 get well there? i mean it started with just you know the classic rock records that i that i had laying around which were my brothers and mine which were like rolling stones the allman brothers uh you know sly and the family stone right uh james brown Stevie Wonder, you know, I grew up listening to this music. It was really a big part of it. And then there was also Frank Zappa. You know, those things were also around. So, and those all had great drummers, you know. Mm, Sure. And then later, it was like, uh, for me, later, it was the police. Like, they were, when I was a teenager, the police were kind of like servicing. It was like listening to the police and listening to Blondie and listening to, you know, Led Zeppelin, of course. I failed to mention Led Zeppelin big influence. So uh, I would say the first drummer that really, really just blew me away was Stuart Copeland because he was like, he could, you know, he had a great groove, was a really strong player, but he had this, he had this way of playing that, and I'm talking about rock drummers and stuff, but his playing was like, he had a world sensibility of like, you know, he had influences. You could hear the reggae influence. You could hear punk rock. You could hear African, mm-hmm. you know. And then later I learned that like, yeah, he was traveled the world with his dad. He like, he checked out music from all over the world. Apparently his dad was in the CIA or something. So he was in the Middle East. He was in Africa. Oh, really? I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. So then I so then and how he swung the beat and stuff like that and how he turned the beat around and the reggae stuff it was all really for me that was like huge. So um but of course Bonham, you know, was like, you know, the most grooving rock drummer, you know, out there that had such a big sound, so I couldn't deny that influence. Um and then, you know, then there was Buddy Rich and Gene Krupa and then there was Elvin Jones and, you know, you know all that start, all that came later. And I would say the more sophisticated jazz drumming came to me later. The rock, the sophisticated rock drumming came to me first. Mm. So that's like Stuart Copeland and John Bonham and then. The so you really sort of built this strong foundation or I should say rock foundation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rock was first. Yeah. Huh. I mean, I. I was tap dancing when I was three years old to do Gellin and Cal Basie because <laughs> my mom was a tap. She's a teacher, you know, she's a dancer. Huh. So when you think in those terms, it's like, well, I was rhythmic. I was coordinating myself rhythmically. And, and tap dancing is, you know, it's percussive. Totally. It's, it's you your know. whole body. Right. And it's your whole body, you're, you're tapping out rhythms in your feet. Um, so it's like you got it. So in that sense, I think that was a big influence, you know. But uh, the drummers were like, you know, like Stuart Copeland and and um, John Bonham and hmm. you know those kind of guys. I would, uh, you know, it's funny because I would have never thought that. But at the same time, all of those guys listened to all the jazz cats and all, like you know, yeah. like John Bonham wanted to be a jazz drummer. Yeah, you know, and yeah. he just yeah. Well, Mitch Mitchell too. Mitch Mitchell, you know, of course, uh, all you know, both. You know, um, both Hendrix drummers. Hendrix was a huge influence. I'm sorry, Hendrix. You know, that's like huge. Mm-hmm. So, and he had Mitch Mitchell, and he had um, Butch Miles, uh, Buddy Miles, right? Right, right, right. So, so, and they had two different styles. I mean, Mitch was like more of a swinging kind of like triplety drummer that, like, you know. Uh, and then there was Cream, you know, and Ginger Baker. And, the, and then these guys, these rock drummers are all into jazz. And you can hear their kind of swinging style in it. But 
I'm just telling you the first, very initial first drummers, but my influences on what came later were Brazilian drummers and percussionists and New Orleans drummers, you know, that's mm -hmm. what you're hearing, I think, in my the stuff with Modesto Martin Wood that kind of came together. It takes time, it takes years, it takes decades, you know, I think of playing different music and listening to different music and, and listening to different drummers to, to, to add that to your vocabulary. Mm-hmm. And so, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but to me, it seems like, okay, you got this sort of, this groove foundation. And when I say groove, I mean like this 4-4 groove foundation that, that we understand as, as, you know, on, on this side of the world. And then mix it with all of this Latin and, and Afro-Cuban and all this other stuff. But you, I, to me, what I'm hearing is you had that foundation and, and that, that groove in your back pocket. So I think that's why what you play is so relatable to me. Mm -hmm. If that makes any sense at all, or was that just the most convoluted thing I've ever said no, in my life? No, no, that's totally you're right on. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, there has to be some foundation. You have to mm -hmm. be, you have to understand, you know, how to, you know, um, you know, fit yourself in, you know, rhythmically. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you have whatever it is, you know, whatever it is that you uh, start, Right. playing it doesn't mean that's what you're going to be later mm -hmm. but it certainly is a great rock is the foundation i mean rock is to me rock is you know came from african you know like it's just like you know blues and r&b and rock right you know? i mean that's the kind of the evolution so uh deep down it's like i just went further and further back to the roots of that and started to realize like how sophisticated <laughs> you know that music was mm -hmm. so like i kind of i feel like i just in some ways went backwards forwards i know that sounds convoluted but it's basically like you know all the roots of rock i mean they go back you can go back to new orleans you go back to jazz and you can go back to africa <laughs> and right. west and central africa in particular and find like all of that you know and it's incredible mm -hmm. so i did you know and i and that has to do with brazilian music and so who were some of the cats that you were that you were listening to outside of the the rock world well, I mean, you know, um, I, I got really, I got into Brazilian music. That was the next thing. And like when I got into Brazilian music, uh, that introduced me to like jazz musicians too, like Bob Moses and Jaco Pastorius and Bill Frizzell, all these people I met in the, because I w was like studying Brazilian percussion, you know, in New York at the Drummers Collective. Oh, sweet. As well as, as well as Afro-Cuban music, Afro-Caribbean music with uh, Frankie Malabé, you know, like all those guys were connected to the jazz world in one way or another. So they were like the jazz musicians. Uh, w they didn't have to be drummers. They were, we were all like kind of in that community. Right. And uh, so uh, the drummers that influenced me, you know, were like, Nana Vesconcelos or Ayerto, you know, like were the two great percussionists in the 80s that were playing with everybody and just, you know, they were the most popular. Uh, and then there was a lot of, you know, um, a lot of drummers that, you know, <clears throat> that I can't even name because a lot of it is like listening to field recordings and villages and sure. towns all over the place, you know. Um, Brazilian batucada, samba music, you know, like mm -hmm. that was big influence. And that was my connection to the New Orleans feel, was playing that music and then realizing there was a very similar kind of 
uh, groove and clave, especially in northern Brazil. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then Sucus and High Life and like, you know, Afro pop and so much was happening in the 80s. It was a perfect time to be getting absorbing, you know, all this world beat music. Sure. I remember a time when I was in college and I was reading an article about you and I don't know if I don't know if I was reading it online or a modern drummer or I don't remember where it was but you st- you were talking about Brazilian music and I started getting into Brazilian music as a result of reading this article and really started to like dive into it and really enjoy it and then are, are you familiar with Ney Rosaro? No, not so, I mean Sounds familiar. He's a percussionist and composer, educator from from Brazil, and he actually did a residency at my college, so it happened to be the perfect time to like learn all this stuff. And uh, I started learning, you know, like clave and all this other stuff. But it was it was sort of it was sort of serendipitous that I read this article from you, talked about the Brazilian music, started get into it on my own, and then and then he was there, and so that music speaks to me, and it's. It's amazing the the rhythmic uh just the rhythmic properties of that style of music that are so I don't know to me like like they just I feel like they make you dance a lot more than like something in four you know or just like a 4/4 four, four, like rock groove or something. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and that's why I was attracted to it. It was just it's just sophisticated. It's rhythmically more sophisticated. It has you have all these counter rhythms. And they all fit in with each other, and there's a certain kind of there's this little bit of a system and phrasing that goes on. And mm-hmm. when when you start to learn that, it it, it does it just makes you want to dance and groove. And you know, so I was really blown away by that. And then I, and then through that, I realized well, it exists in so many other cultures, uh, especially in West and Central African music. And so I checked all that out, and I realized the roots of that and you know, and I call it rhythmic harmony, you know, uh, where you have two or more rhythms, like patterns playing together that complement each other. And Brazilian music is like, there's like at least four really strong, you know, uh, patterns that work together in samba. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's counterpoint. That's, you know, it's like, like so, Bach, you know, rhythmic Bach. <laughs> right. So the, so what are, the, so the four patterns, uh, do I mean? Can you like? Can you name them? Or yeah, well, yeah, they don't have names for everything, but the tambourine pattern that they play, you know, like duck, 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 you know, there's many various variations on that. You can call it the clave, but there's really, I don't think Brazilians really use that term very much. You just so there's the clave pattern, there's the agogo pattern, which is really like what they call partido alto, the alto. Right. Right. And then you've got um the sword part, um, which is, you know, just really the the one and the two that you like a two beat ding boom to one ka two to one ka two to one, right? Right. And then and then there's um I, I guess really it's three those three parts are really the core. And then from there you have variations. But really if you have those three then the other p- players can use those and you know just riff off of those as long as you understand the relationship, you know, mm-hmm. because it's like a two-part clave, you know, and it's like, you know, you, if if anybody <laughs> is more interested, like I have my book Rhythm R I D D I M, claves of African origin. It's a book that where I have all the patterns laid out, but I don't 
I don't say samba this and this that. It's not like traditional patterns. Of, although I'll you make you can find it in the book. There are references to Brazilian music, but all these parts are broken down that way. Um, and you know, there's other. There's just so much. It's so deep, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can hear it. I traced that. Actually, those rhythms, those that clave, the tambourine pattern, all that, to the Congo, to the Central African region, and there's like a lot of music in in like villages and field recordings. You can hear where that clave exists, mm-hmm. and that's like the roots of that rhythm came from Africa to Brazil. You know, right? Slave trade and all that. It's a whole. You know, it's a whole. Incredible thing, but the way the Brazilians groove is another thing. I think it's important we should talk about, which is, you know, how they swing. You know, there's there's no other music except for Moroccan, a certain Moroccan rhythmic style where you have that It's not like straight sixteenths. It's not, you know what I mean? Right. It kind of has a a skip to it, mm-hmm. and it's like it's like how we swing, you know, jazz or how New Orleans or reggae or how we play straight or we swing. Brazilians have this like, it's like a three-dimensional swing. It's really interesting. And I think that that's what makes it really interesting for drummers, especially our culture, to check out. Because it's like a whole other way to learn. It's like learning another language and learning how to speak it. So why? what do you mean by a three-dimensional? Why why do you think it's three-dimensional? Because it's a linear groove that... That is not, you can't write it. You can't write it in Western notation. You can't write it at all. Uh, because the duration of each note, it's not that simple. Like you could, you could write eighth notes, right? And say, oh, swing the eighth notes, right? You could write mm-hmm. triplets, right? You could, you know, but it's like really there's no in between. It's not. So it's a feel the, rather yeah, than what, a, yeah. So what I when I say three dimensional, I mean because I I really do mean that like you have a stream of four notes and they're not even. They go you know you know it's like it skips. It's one person I forget. I wish I could give the credit. I don't know who they said it, but like it's like if you watch an egg roll like oblong. It's it's like it it kind of like it rolls and then it. It changes and it roll. It rolls. It has a little skip. Oh, who I know exactly. What yeah, it, right. I don't know who that is. Let's. I'm find a, out. I'll look it up and I'll put yeah. it in the show notes because. I oh. think, yeah, I think that's a really smart, a uh, visual uh, description of how something works because it's not just rolling along evenly like almost any other stream of notes that we know of. Sixteenths are just digga 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 digga. You know. I feel like I talked to Luis Conte about that, but yeah, yeah. Well, and then there's sixteen. And then there's there's all of this comes from different African rooted cultures. So like you know, you can hear like two and three together. It's basically the Brazilian uh, swing is two and three together, duples and triples together, blend blended together. It's not a triple feel or a duple feel. It's both. And that's what, for me, what makes it three-dimensional. Mm-hmm. I've never actually used that term, but I'm sticking by it because I think it really <laughs> is true. It's like, you, you know, heard it here first that, yeah. that Billy is going to patent that today. Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, if you, it's like, 
when we think about digital like zeros and ones, it's just a series of zeros and ones, right? What do they call that term? It's just like binary, right? Binary, yeah. So, but binary code can create three-dimensional, you know, sound and images. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, I mean, I don't want to get too crazy about it, but I just feel like, you know, uh, that doesn't make any sense. Just edit that out. <laughs> no, I, no, no, no. It makes total sense. I mean, I yeah. think it sort of reminds me of the Jojo Mayer did a TED talk about the, the space between zero and one. Mm-hmm. And he sort of talks about his is more talking about the binary side of thing, you know, with zeros and ones. But I think this is sort of the same thing where it's like this intangible thing. It's like, why, you know, like, all right, I can write down, let's just say, let's for, for ease of, of uh conversation, let's just say I can write down a John Bonham groove mm-hmm. and we can say, okay, it's swung eights. Right. Yeah. And then go ahead and play it. And then you play it and then you hear John Bonham play it and you're like, mm, it doesn't sound the same. No, everybody's going to sound different. Yeah, yeah, and there's this weird thing in between and like you and that maybe not that's not the best example, but it's sort of like there's a bit of intangible when it comes to these rhythms. I think that's why I've always been so attracted to it is because there is that there's this other thing there. It's like like you said, it's this three-dimensional rhythm. So it, yeah. it it totally makes sense. It's a little, you know, it's a little esoteric and and sort of uh, but it's not at the same time. Well, that's time. me. So, <laughs> well, I mean, that's I, cool. I like I, it. I like, I like the idea of like you know giving it that power. It's magic, you know. And rhythm is magic, and when you combine, if you can combine two different feels in one, you know, like then mm-hmm. you're going to get that. So, um, you know, that's that's the Brazilian feel is like a very unique thing, and it's very difficult for people to play. But once you get it, uh, it's a very special thing. And, you know, you can just add that to your musical vocabulary or your drumming, and it's going to be just another another place you can go when you play. So here, that's what I do. I know. have two questions for you about that yeah. then. Uh, it's a two-part question, but I'll ask the first part. One, to, to start to learn some of this stuff, where do you suggest that people start? Because it's such an over – it's almost like – it's it's like when people are trying to learn jazz and they don't know how to start, but like getting into this into like Brazilian and African and all this stuff, they're it's a bit intimidating for people who don't know where to start. I think because there's just so many different levels of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I would say it's you know it's a, it's an it's an oral tradition, so it really it's about listening to it, you know, and if you could be around it. So I would say you know <clears throat> for Brazilian. For that Brazilian feel, you know, um, you get the um, the samba school recordings like Escola de Samba is samba school, and then their records, uh, and they also call it Batucada, B A T A C A Batucada, yeah, Batucada, yeah, C A D A, um, and that just means like a battery of drummers, you know, that mm-hmm. are playing samba samba schools uh and, and there are different every year there's like you know you can there's different music that comes out i've listened to the older schools when i was learning in the 80s it was Padre miguel and like these certain samba schools that i'm sure still exist 
Um, but I, you know, I can't say one particular record really, because <laughs> I don't know what's out there right now. These things right. come and go. Uh, but I would say you listen to this music all the time. You listen to the drumming. You listen to the patterns, and you try to play along with it. You know, mm-hmm. um, you find try to find a show that's happening with with the Brazilian groups that are playing Brazilian drummers and you go to those shows and you hang out with them and you watch them play and you watch Brazilian dance. I mean now you can go online and check that stuff out. Sure. Know? Yeah, the man if I had YouTube when I first started playing <laughs> drums, I would be at least 3% better than I am now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the the second part of this question, and not to concentrate on the minutia, but say I, I say I come to you and say, okay, Billy, I like I played drums for years. I played rock, you know, all this stuff. Then I've I've learned all of this Brazilian music, and you know, I've learned samba, and, and I've learned the clave, and I've learned all this different stuff. So how how can I incorporate that into my playing without sounding like some white dude from PA? pretending to play this stuff and like mixing it in with like my regular repertoire. Cause I think for, for me, I, when I was younger, I always struggled with learning something new in the practice room and then putting it into my playing when I'm on the bandstand. And I feel like sometimes there's a disconnect there. So do you have any advice or any thoughts about that? Yeah. I mean, that's just, you know, I could go on, for days about this that's what i teach privately about is is you know getting drummers to to create their own music vocabulary and then and then applying it through you know improvising exercises and things but basically i would say this you have to really love what you're doing you have to learn these styles because you love it and because you're obsessed with it and you have to just live, eat and sleep it. Like we're talking about Brazilian music. I'm telling you, you can't just touch on it and say, Oh, you know, I'm going to learn to play these patterns. And then all of a sudden you're playing Brazilian style. It's, it's, it takes, takes years. Total immersion. Yeah. So you have to really love it. And then by, by playing it, uh, by practicing and playing it and following it and, even trying to you know live it in a certain sense, experience as much as you can. It's just going to become part of you, and then it just become comes out eventually. You know, I really don't think it's there's a science. It's an art. You know, there's like you know you you, you sit and you practice these things, but if you're just in a room alone, you're not playing with anybody. I mean, you have you have to eventually get out of your practice room, and you have to try to apply it in a way. But it's not just applying it for the sake of of just, you know, uh, turning a switch. It's more like you do it. It becomes part of your playing. It just, you know, I, I would just say you do it so much that it becomes second nature. So you're walking down the street and you're chewing gum and you're not thinking about walking down the street and chewing gum. You're just doing it. You're doing two things, you know, and you're not really thinking about it anymore because you're so good at it. And then mm-hmm. you can start combining it. You can start to go take a left turn in your in your drumming uh, in a band and just play a little Brazilian thing for a minute, or combine it with the beat. You know, mm-hmm. when you're really, really obsessed and you're really uh, devoted to learning something uh, that you can't get enough of it, that it just seeps into your 
cells, man. You just, you know, it becomes you. And then, and that's where it's just becomes effortless at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do have like, you know, when my students come to me in private lessons, I have them solo. I have them work on different sort of um, techniques and different methods to bring those things into their playing. Uh, but a lot of it comes from improvising, you know, and being more comfortable with improvising. Mm-hmm. You know, which means play a pa- it could be play a pattern and then start to add other things into it, you know, start to combine. It could also be just play anything, just make sound, you know, and be comfortable with like going anywhere you want to go in the moment. And those kind of, the spirit of that gives you uh, the confidence to just jump in and, and try things. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think a lot of times people one are impatient so they just sort of go and they learn something real quick and then like oh okay i got it and then they want to move on to the next thing because it's challenging to work on something for six months you know to work on one groove for six months or something like that or or one feel or one style and so i think there's a bit of of being impatient but then also sort of a non-focused practice you know Yeah. Okay, I'll play this for a second and then I'll do a little drum solo and I'll, you know, mess around on the kit and then I'll go back to practicing this thing for a minute and a half or two minutes rather than the really diligent sort of uh deliberate practice, you know, sort of like the the Kenny Werner approach kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, you have to you have to just really it you ha- it has to be a you have to be passionate and you can't just make yourself passionate. I mean, you either you either love it or you don't. You do the things that you love. Do the things that you really, really turn you on and make you feel good. Do those things. Follow your heart. And for me, that's how it worked for me. So it wasn't like I was told to learn Brazilian music. I was just, I didn't know what it was. And I had to find it, find out because I didn't know what a samba was. And I was embarrassed in a session. You know, I couldn't play a samba. Mm-hmm. And they were like, they wanted me to play a samba beat as close as I could, and I had no freaking idea. And then after that, I was like, I got to find out what this is. And when I went to a class, it happened to be a drummer's collective at the time, it changed my life. I wasn't like I was, ex- I just wanted to figure, I just wanted to experience it, first of all. I didn't know if I was going to like it or anything, you know. Mm-hmm. And, but when I did go there, uh, I it did change my life and I got obsessed you know I I dropped everything for two years because I loved it so much it was such a incredible powerful beautiful thing you know wow I wanted to do it I wanted to do it all the time you know and then and then later then it was like you know it could be New Orleans music or it was like you know um hip-hop you know like all these things and a lot of that music you can see those three things, what do they have in common? It's an oral tradition that comes from West and Central African rooted culture. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's just like the most powerful drumming. And that's the funkiest drumming for me, the funkiest music, you know. So, but I didn't like, you know, just figure that out by reading a book. I just fell in love with it. I just wanted to be part of it. Mm-hmm. And it's the concept of sort of, of following where your effort naturally goes like it it, at the end of the night every you know every night if you get on your computer and you're constantly reading about you know whatever 
cars or something like that, and you're trying to start a business in the restaurant, you know, like a restaurant business, you should probably start a car business because you're really interested in that, you know, like the, the, I think a lot of people try to do things that they're not, they're not passionate about or they're not that attracted to just because they feel like they should or something like that. So again, not to put words in your mouth, but I don't think you're saying, I think everyone needs to go out and dive into all of this stuff. You're saying if you love it and you want to learn it, that's how you're going to have to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm not telling people they have to, they have to learn certain uh, styles of music. I, I'm just telling them to find, you know, find something that they really love, and then focus on that. And then, you know, one thing at a time, um, not all of it. And I also think that, you know, at the same time, it's like, well, I had a good technique before that. So when I was, you know, 11, I was like studying, you know, out of stick control, and I didn't know what the hell I was wanted to be but I was taking lessons with this teacher who was giving me things to do I was learning how to read a little bit I was learning what you know 16th notes and rests and eighth notes and all that stuff and you know that just was what I had to learn I didn't love it but actually as I started to get a handle on it I was kind of getting into it because I was enjoying the process of learning the power of learning which was a lot more than I got from academic school. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so b- what I'm saying is I did have like a technique before I really discovered the power of, you know, Brazilian music and other things. Sure. And that, 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 you know, that foundation definitely got me further. Mm-hmm. So there are things that we should learn, you know, <laughs> like which is to how to, how to hold a stick and bounce it and not, you know, get tendonitis from, playing wrong you know mm-hmm. uh but when it comes to the styles of music you got to just whatever it is that got you into drumming in the first place you know that's that's you know that's a passion like you you heard something and you wanted to be part of that so uh and sometimes you don't know what's out there and so you have to kind of be really inquisitive and you have to be curious and you have to check things out and maybe that's that's really what it's what's happening for the generation now. It's like you go you go onto the internet and maybe you'll discover something, and from there you'll go. I really want to learn more about that, and and then you start actually playing it, you know, and studying it, and studying with a teacher or going to concerts. Hey, who knows? Maybe your uncle will give you a CD of of MMW yeah. and you know. <laughs> yeah. How did he give you a CD? Like, did he did he own a record store or something? All right, so check this out. So my uncle, he he uh, he passed away a few years ago, but he was probably not to get too deep into it, but he was probably one of the most uh, most amazing people I've ever met. He worked in the foreign service. He traveled all around the world, and he set up libraries in different countries. So, cool. but he was but he was a reader, and he loved music. He had like this really sophisticated. Uh, uh, sound system in his house and everything. He had thousands of records and every, like just super amazing guy, super bright guy too. And he worked at a, he, so when he, he retired and he needed something to do, so he worked at this music and bookstore and they were going out of business. So he bought all the CDs that they had. Mm. And then he came and every year for Christmas, he would do something funny. Like one year he was like, what do you want for Christmas? And I was like, I want a hi hat stand. So he bought me, a coat rack and a top hat and <laughs> and like hung it on it and was like there's your present like i bought you a hi-hat stand and i'm like 
what? I was like, come on. And then he actually got me a hi-hat stand too. So just like super uh. creative guy, but he, he individually rapped. I'm without, without exaggerating. It was probably 700 CDs. Wow. And he took them and he just started throwing them to everybody and everybody's just like ripping them open and trading and everything. And so each of us got like hundreds of CDs and one of the CDs I got was Combustication. Wow. So that was a long story, but I felt like I had to, you know, pay a little homage to him too. So. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, but yeah, so I got this, I got that record and, and it really, and it really shifted my brain a little bit because at the time, I mean, I was... You know, what year did that come out? 98? Something like that? I don't know. So I was in like 11th grade, and all I listened to, like I listened to Fish and rock and roll and, you know, and hip-hop. Mostly hip-hop, actually, and Fish. And then I got this and was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I was like, what is this? And then, uh, you know, and then I heard like, uh, what's that? T- what's the tune called? Latin Shuffle. Yeah. And was just <laughs> like... I when just even the tempo, not the tempo change, but the subdivision change that you do in the beginning. Yeah. Just like oh, we're, I gotta play. I'm gonna play ten seconds of it so people can hear the hear what yeah. I'm talking about here. Yeah. We'll just let people listen for a second. Yeah, so that that took me uh, that took me a long time to figure out. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a good one because that's what I was telling you about rhythmic harmony and and also you know just the idea of uh, well I wasn't telling you about it's not you know, it's like you know sometimes you hear tempo change but it's not you know it's mm-hmm. like yeah, it's just playing a little differently with the same pulse. But yeah. So that's the same tempo. It's just subdivision change. Yeah. And that's just, you know, that's Afro-Cuban kind of thing. You know, it took me a while to learn that. (laughs) I can play, I can play it now. Finally. (laughs) But no, I mean, I like in college, I, I, uh, spent a lot of time on that record, like I said. So, um, but I just, it's, it's a, it's a mind opening, uh, experience when you sort of discover this whole other thing that you didn't know existed. And yeah, not that I yeah. didn't realize that Brazilian music was out there. I just never really, I didn't really get it. You know, I was young and I was just learning all this stuff. So, um, so I think if, if, if the listeners out there can sort of find that thing that, that opens up their mind and gets them going down this path of, of, uh, this unquenchable thirst for knowledge for a particular thing, you get in that position. It's a, it's a great position to be in. Yeah, I just, you know, yep, it's all about being inspired, you know, and it's, you have to, you have to follow through, you know, mm-hmm. on like really checking something out and figuring it out. And that's the great thing about being um, a newcomer to something and, and being really into learning about it is that, you know, you pull it apart and you examine it and you figure, you try to figure it out and you try to emulate it. And then, then you use it, you know, in your own way. And that's building your vocabulary. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like learning. Diff- it's like learning to speak different languages and then creating your own like, way to speak it. Right. That to me is, the, is my mission in life as a teacher is to get people to find their way of expressing themselves, which makes them special and gives them a, ne- a, ne- a niche in the world, you know, like that 
to create their own style. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. agreed. Let's take a quick pause for the cause and we'll be right back with Billy Martin. So this session is brought to you by DW Drums, my favorite drum set. And not only that, they are great people. I love the company and they are they are like family to me. And I've really appreciated and really enjoy getting to know them on a personal level over these years. And they make an amazing product. And like I said, they're just great people and foster drumming initiatives like this podcast. Be sure to check them out at dwdrums.com. Also, Promark, they just came out with the Mike Portnoy signature stick. And this has the active grip technology, which actually gets tackier in your hand as you warm up so that you're not going to lose grip or control or anything like that. And you can learn more about the new Mike Portnoy stick at promark.com. Last but not least, Sabian has just announced the addition of Vanguard symbols to its remastered HH line. So these are fully hand hammered, but there are key differences. One is that Vanguard symbols employ pinpoint lathing rather than traditional lathing. So what that does is it gives you a clean woody stick definition, providing exceptional articulation for such a really light symbol. You can learn more about these symbols and all of Sabian's great line at Sabian.com. And now let's get back into it with Billy Martin. I don't know why I keep saying his name like that, but let's get back to it. I always like to ask about practice routines a little bit. Do you have a specific practice routine or is it or is it sort of weave in and out of, of different inspirations and things like that? Or do you have advice for practicing? Uh, yeah, I don't have a practice routine. I, I don't... It's really kind of like part of... It's sort of integrated in my life when I, I'm just uh, dealing with music and visual art all the time. That I just kind of it seeps in and out, you know. And so I don't really have a a practice schedule. Um, but sometimes I feel like I do need that <laughs> ritual again, <laughs> you know, just to keep me centered. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm just, you know, my my ritual now is just like a creative expression like you know just being creative i have a record label i have you know i'm working on making a movie i'm like you know writing things i'm like painting drawing teaching all of it is a creative act my whole life is a creative act so and you're uh, a dad too so you have all this other stuff going on too it's all very challenging and all you have to you know so i have to be on my toes but the practicing part what i would recommend to people is to you know devote um, at least ten minutes to soloing. What is a solo, and to improvise? What is improvising? What? How can I make a composition out of playing just the drums? You know, or using just percussive sounds, uh, and then think about that and try to do it. Try to make a song with your drums, and it doesn't always have to be a beat. I mean, it doesn't, most of the time it shouldn't. It should just be you know play more melodically okay so that's like maybe 10 minutes and then you know i would say then you start to um work on you know anything that has to do with uh, a rhythmic language develop your rhythmic language and that is you know working on rhythms uh that that are challenging that you know make you play more than (laughs) two different two or more different patterns at the same time Mm-hmm. and kind of learn all those different patterns. A lot of that comes from, you know, the African stuff um, and Afro-Cuban music and, you know, Brazilian music. 
and then it just comes cuts into also into you know funky sort of playing you know listen to music you know listen to music try to emulate you know what you hear mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and it's not just the the combinations of patterns but it's the how how it's being you know what's the sound how that what's the touch you know the drummer just analyzing that right. um you know there's there, i don't really i can't really say you know and then I, you know, I can't really say what the whole routine should be. Everybody is different. Everybody needs to. Everybody needs to focus on different things. At right. Different and times. That's and that's why I love asking this question because it literally goes from I get up at six fifteen a.m. and I get to the practice routine, or I get to the you know the practice room at six forty-five, and I work fifteen minutes on hands. I work fifteen minutes on this, and it goes from that extreme to yeah. the complete opposite, where yeah. it's like. When I feel inspired, I get up and I walk into my practice room and I play until I'm done and then I go home. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's everything in between. And that's why I love asking this question so that the listeners can can sort of take their bits and pieces of information that they get from everyone and then and then create their own routine, quote unquote routine that works for them, whatever it may be, however loose or, you know, concise it may be. Yeah. Yeah. There's it's it's yeah, it's everybody's different. And I mean, I think for people who need guidance, I would just say you make a list of things, you know, that you want to work on and then mm-hmm. work on them. If you don't have a teacher, if you have right. a teacher, then they're going to they're going to tell you what to do. They're going to give you ideas, give you a structure. Right. Which I suggest everybody get a teacher. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important, you know, mm-hmm. but not just any teacher. You have to find a teacher that really you like, that you really, you know, you personally like or you uh, look up to in a way. Uh, that's really important because mm-hmm. I think the chemistry between the student and the teacher is, is, is really important. You have to give it a, you have to, you know, give it a go for a while and see how it goes. You can't decide on the first lesson, but I think it takes some time and, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I've taken drum lessons with a couple people that I didn't really feel like I got any growth out of partly because I wasn't too inspired to do it. And partly because I, you know, we didn't have this connection. But then I've I've worked with other teachers where my playing and my mental my my headspace has grown leaps and bounds just in a shorter amount of time just because of that connection. So I I totally agree with you on that. Yeah, me too. And I've had I've had over twenty teachers. You know, I've had like you know, there was a, a few years there at Drummers Collective. I'm, I sound like I'm advertising Drummers Collective. I'm not. But <laughs> it's funny because come I just study with me, folks. I just did an interview with um, with Rob Wallace, uh-huh. who owned Drummers Collective for whatever 32 years or something like that so it's like two podcasts in a row where it's like drummers collective so yeah maybe i should start. this podcast is brought to you by drummers right, collective. Right. <laughs> but um you know at the time you know there were there were there were two or three years where i was studying with multiple teachers like five teachers you know two one week three the next week and just on and off like that for, for a couple of years it was fantastic wow yeah and that was all hand-picked. You know, I just like, they were, I wanted to study with Frankie Malabé, Afro-Cuban. I wanted to study with Manuel Montero, Brazilian, you know, Kenwood Denard for a while, you know, Kim Plainfield at the beginning, you know, for a little while. Um, Michael Carvin, you know, and he blew my mind with soloing and being a, being an original drummer, you mm-hmm. know. I've had Michael on the podcast uh, a few oh, times. Yeah, yeah I, I actually just had lunch with him about two weeks oh, ago in the city. Really? Oh, wow. He's amazing. Yeah, he is. I. I caught up with him last year on the phone. It was great to talk to him. Yeah, he inspired me, you know, very much. He was one of those teachers that just turned my head around, you know, and just made me think about, 
drumming as an art, as a expressive art, as the soloing, the soloist, you know, how important that is mm-hmm. to put the drums up a much higher level and to think about it as a, you know, complete instrument. Right. And that's stayed with me for my whole life, you know. I was thanking him, you know, when I talked to him on the phone. It was really great. And that he's one of those teachers that just blew my mind. And I, I, I just love his sort of no bullshit approach, too, where uh. you're like, well, I don't know. You know, I don't really want to do that. And he's, he's just very simple. He's just, well, then don't do it. Yeah. Well, no, <laughs> I have to. Well, then yeah. don't do it. Yeah. You know, and you're like, okay, yeah. I just won't do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, that's 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 the part of, you know, like, you know, if you're, you're either into it or not, if you're not into it, you know, it's, it's one thing if you have a job and you have to do it and you have to play this music because you're getting hired to do it, you got to, st- that's one thing. But another thing is if you're just like, it's up to you, then don't do something you don't want to do. Do something that you want to do, and but do it really well. Like, right. you know, like once you decide, like, do not give up. So what about the people who who do want to do this as a career and and do this full time and not have a day gig? Do you have any do you have any advice for them? I I don't know, just, you know, you have to you have to really connect with a lot of musicians, you know, you have to connect with a lot of people and you have to, you know, get out and see shows and you've got to, you know, I think making those connections is more it's just as important as being a good competent drummer. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Uh, you have to, that, the most important thing is to find the right combination of musicians that make up a really cool band, you know, and you just can't manufacture that. It just has to, it has to be worked out. You have to be around at the right time and you have to be at shows that you like to be at and you have to talk to those musicians or the, even the fans of the band and you find, you know, players that might want to get into that similar kind of groove world uh i mean groove you know just groove in life uh just you know groove in type of music uh and you know that's that's what's important i think mm-hmm. it's just finding the community that you really res- that resonates with you and become part of that and then from there you can start to start to invent yourself and your your band find the right band to play in and develop a career Mm-hmm. Uh, that's for me. That's the most natural way. Um, other ways are like you know auditioning for an orchestra, right? <laughs> you know, playing a Broadway show, <laughs> which is really, really you know a s- very small niche uh, that is certainly worthwhile. If that's really what you love to do, you got to do it. You yeah. got fierce, and you got to like you know. But um, you got to you got to find your place, and sometimes you got to you know jump around a different from this and that, right? Right. Yeah, I just had a guy, Craig Blundell, on the podcast, and he talked about bouncing between day gigs and and not having a day gig and back and forth and, and finally getting, you know, a big gig with, with Steven Wilson, and now he's playing in arenas and everything. But, like, you know, he's like, I had to I had to do what I had to do for a long time before I got to that point. So, that's Yeah, I, I've been playing as, you know, I've been making a living as a drummer for 30 years you know like but now i'm at the point where it's not just drumming for me anymore it's like you know i have a i have a little record label i mean i've had my record label i've had for like 15 years and it's not you know it's not feeding my family but it's a it's a it's a it's, it is a business that i have that you know just adds to the many different um ways of doing business making money and getting my music out and just you know that's 
part of me now. It's not, I'm not just like surviving as a drummer. Um, Mm -hmm. And I've made the choice to not be touring very much because I've done it so much. I want to take a break. I want to be with my family and I want to also work on other things, you know, produce records and films and, you know, keep my label going and teach. And all those things now mm-hmm. are what I do. That's my job. It's not just being a drummer. To just be a drummer, yeah, then you have to do what, what he did. Uh, like you said, you know, bopping around, day gigs, you know. And, and, and in a sense, I'm going back to my day gig. And I had gig, I had day gigs. I, had, I was a courier. I was a messenger. I was, you know, I worked in fishing boats. I, right. <laughs> you know, um, I did you know, all kinds of odd jobs and things. And, um, that was able to keep me going while I was in between, like finding a band to play with or, and, uh, I, I, I think that that's important. Like, it's not about the pride of like, you know, Oh, I am only a musician, professional musician. I just think that's bullshit. It's like, you just play music because you love it. Mm -hmm. And then, and then, you know, you devote your if you're going to devote your life to it, you know, uh, you have to really work really, really hard, harder than anybody. You know, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. hard work. Everything, that's, that's, anything is hard. Yeah, that you know, it's, and and I think one of the things that's important is that just being the best. There's no one best drummer in the world. It's like there are many great drummers out there, and the reason why they're great is because they have their own way of like you know they have their own style, and people who love that style want them to play in the, on their record in their band, you know, it's, uh, so you have to re- I think that's, I think to me, the message is the most important thing is to find your own style, your own way of doing it. Learn all the other styles, as many as you can that you love. Mm-hmm. But in the end, you know, you have to have your own style, make a name for yourself. The only way you're going to make your name for, for yourself is if you, you know, you have, you're true to yourself and your limitations and your, you know, all of the assets you have and right. and finding how you fit in. Mm-hmm. And when you find that band, you know, uh, and then you guys are going to change lives. <laughs> uh, there's also auditioning for a group that's already been established, you know, and that's, right. another, that's another story. <laughs> sure. You know. There's definitely multiple multiple avenues that you can go down. So whatever yeah. whatever works for you. And I agree with you that, I think a lot of people get sort of they sort of get intimidated by saying, "Well, you know, I have to just I have to do this full time and if if not then I'm not a real musician or or something like that." But it's like, you know, just whatever works for you. Like there's there's certain sacrifices that come along with doing it full time and there's certain sacrifices that come along with not doing it full time. You just have to pick what's right for you. And if you have a family and you know, whatever the case may be. So I think, you know, I agree that you're, everyone is an individual case. So just do what's right for you. Yeah. You know, sacrifices, no matter what, you're going to have to make sacrifices. (laughs) Yeah. Opportunity costs, man. Totally. So if people want to, to study, I know that you teach privately, right? Yeah. So what's the best way to, if they want to try to get in touch with you to, to learn from you and teach privately? Uh, well, they could email me at um, rhythm at billymartin.net, R-I-D-D-I-M at billymartin.net. And then just reach out and, um, you know, 
if you're not in the New York City area, I live in New Jersey, in Englewood, New Jersey. Uh, and that's where I teach in general. So that would be if you're in that area, like come on over. Uh, if you're far away, then we can work something out like a Skype or something like that. Cool. And then you also have a, you also have a big camp coming up that we should probably talk about. Yeah. Really cool camp. Um, with my friend, Ciro Baptista, who's a great Brazilian percussionist, you know, he's mm -hmm. played with Medeski Martin Wood. He's played with Trey of fish. He's played with Wynton Marsalis, Paul Simon, John Zorn sting. You know, he's just like done so much. He's a dear friend and together we've done workshops in the past, but this is going to be the, the best, you know, biggest deal because it's literally like a, a, a resort in the Catskill mountains, about two hours North of New York city called full moon resort there's all kinds of camps that they do up there now uh and like zap on todd rundgren and all these other people do camps up there so we're doing our percussion camp a uh, drum percussion camp called um rhythm sound and magic and it's june 13th to the 17th um so you sleep over four nights We'll hang out for five days. You know, you get fed, you get put up. You can even pitch a tent if you can't afford the full rate. Um, you can go to um, rhythmsoundandmagic.com and and look it up. Uh, and then you can, or just email me and ask about it. Uh, and then John Medeski will be a special guest. He'll come one day and talk about the importance of the drummers and play with us and uh amir ziv who's a really interesting drummer who teaches at the new school in new york uh and also an instrument builder named daniel jodice he also works at maxwell's drum shop in new york oh cool really interesting guy and he builds instruments and you know so we're gonna have workshops you know all different kinds of things throughout the day and it's going to be really intensive but fun and you know really beautiful uh, space there and we're going to share lots of ideas and things and work together and, and the, what's the URL music uh, it's it's rhythm sound and magic dot com A -N -D? Um, I would imagine right? yes A -N -D magic dot com yeah rhythm sound and magic dot com oh okay okay Sorry, I typed. I, I was typing music sound and magic, I, I, and I'm like, why? I'm that. like, why is this not working? <laughs> yeah, I might, have, I might have said that. Sometimes I made that mistake. You can go there. You can see zero a couple of videos with zero and I. You can see the schedule, the general schedule, activities, the location. It's, it's an awesome place. That's where we did Camp MMW for three years, for five years actually. Um, with Modesto Martin Wood, we had a camp there every August and for a week. How long ago was that? Uh, that was maybe, you know, I think we, that was about five years ago. We did it for five years, but I think we may have ended it like about four or five years ago. Okay. Chris moved to Nashville, Chris Wood, and you know, we're all just doing a lot of different things now. So I got you. So are you guys touring anytime soon? Uh, no, we're not going to, we're just playing a few special concerts. Uh, New York, we're playing, uh, in October for a couple of dates at Le Poisson Rouge, and uh, I think we're going to be playing Cleveland, actually, and uh, we're going to be making a movie. Uh, well, awesome. it's a documentary film about us, so some of that concert in Cleveland will be, most all of it will be filmed. 
Sweet. Because yeah. when, when you guys are in New York in October, I want to try to go to that. So Yeah. It's um, our 25th anniversary, and uh, yeah, we have a record coming out, which is actually with an orchestra. <laughs> awesome. Uh, it's coming out in October, yeah. Good. I'm looking forward to it, man. Yeah. So and we're, and we're getting into the studio again. We'll be getting into the studio, and that's going to be really different and special. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I'm excited to hear that, man. Right, yeah, yeah, that's going to be cool. Good deal. So, Billy, uh, I'm gonna we're gonna wrap up just because I want to be cognizant of your time. But I I appreciate you doing this, man. It, it's been great to sort of communicate with you over email for the last couple of years. But great to actually sit down and have a conversation with you. And uh, thank you again for for the stuff that you put out into the world. I I love your music. I I love your playing. So just great to have you. Thanks, Nick. It's good to be part of your show. Thank you. Absolutely, man. And uh, anytime you want to come back, you are you are more than welcome, my friend. All right. Thanks, man. All right. Thanks, dude. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. All bye. right. Bye. So there you have it, the one and only Billy Martin from MMW. A great pleasure having him on the show, and I hope that you appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you got some value out of it. Also, be sure to check out drummersresource.com forward slash session 174 so you can get all the information and links to all the stuff that we talked about, his camp that he has coming up, and his books and all sorts of things like that. And while you're there, you can grab a copy of my ebook, Stick Control Variations. It's 100% free. Just sign up for the mailing list to nab that. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.